what I want to talk to you about is really today the way that we communicate. Somebody say communicate. communicate. Communicating is so important. It's important the way that we communicate in our society. It's important that, that, we, that we communicate to our, our culture through ads and everything like that. But, but the most important place of communication is inside the home. It's in the confines of our relationships, especially in our marriages. I got one amen. <laughs> Did she hit you to say that? Okay. <laughs> the truth is, is that whether you're single, whether you're married, uh, whether um, or whatever status of relationship you're, you're a student and, and you don't want to ever get married, good for you. Uh, whatever the status of your relationship is, communication is vital to your relationships. And so today, as we talk about communication with a focus on communication within marriage, I want you to know that no matter who you are, where you are, you are in your life, you can apply these principles to every relationship and they're going to radically help you and, and, and empower your relationships to not only grow deeper together, but deeper with the Lord. And as we turn in our, our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, starting verse 21, you're going to find out from the wisest man to ever live, God gave King Solomon all just so much wisdom, you're going to find out that he had something to say about communication. So as we read Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, understand this. This is a this pretty big and bold statement here. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Anybody love to talk in here? Yeah? No hands. I doubt that. <laughs> It's interesting because it left it open-ended and it left a little bit of confusion intentionally on this passage of Scripture because what are the consequences to loving to talk? Well, it could be death or it can be life. The intention is that you get to choose. That's your job. You get to choose how you, how you use that tongue of yours. And the truth of the matter is this. You're going to reap the consequences of whatever you say. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. And I want to pack this first as we go through the rest of today and, and find out what the Bible says about communication, especially within the confines of the marriage. But before we get that, I, I've got to tell you, Claudia and I, my wife, uh, uh, we have been married almost 17 years uh, this year. Isn't that right? Or are we on 18? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and and all and it doesn't seem like it's been uh, nearly that long. Uh, we have been dating though for 22 years, and it's been a wonderful time uh, of dating. And I remember early on in our relationship, as we as we uh, spoke over the phone, we we'd always want to talk over the phone because we were, you know, uh, in. He's trying to keep me from saying something I shouldn't. <laughs> um, as we were in high school, we would talk over the phone all the time because we couldn't be around each other and uh, uh, for, for some periods of time. And we would, uh, our, our conversations seemed to be endless. 
I was so curious. I wanted to know everything there was to know about, about who she was and about what she thought and about how she felt. And, and even if there was a lull in conversation, that, that lull in conversation was filled with, with, uh, with, with love. I, I would just lean in and, and listen to her breathe. Y'all remember what that was like? Been a long time, huh? <laughs> and, and now at, at this stage in our marriage, uh, if we hear each other breathe, we're like, hey, can you be quiet, please? Close your mouth. Close your mouth to breathe. It's irritating me is what I'll get sometimes. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, early on in our marriage, um, uh, when, um, when I'd fall asleep, sometimes I, I just quit breathing for random periods of time. Uh, anybody have sleep apnea? I need to see somebody about that. Yeah, there you go. And I just quit breathing, and and Claudia would catch this, and she would, it would concern her, and so she'd lovingly grab a hold of me and kind of move me or shake me to try to wake me up so that I'd start breathing again. And fast forward to now, I've heard her joke about this. She she said to other people, uh, you know, she says a quick and silent prayer. Lord, He's in Your hands now. And that's just kind of how marriage and relationships kind of grow and, and mature. But don't worry, I, I have a wonderful marriage. We love each other, and we're, 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 we still are curious about one another. And there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't learn something about my wife. As a matter of fact, I mean, she makes sure that I learn how she feels every day. And she lets me know how I'm supposed to feel. That's okay. I, we have a wonderful relationship. We're, we're happy with the way that we communicate. But, the, but if you want to be honest with you, with, if I want to be honest with you, I, there's still room for improvement. No matter how hard I try to be a good communicator as a pastor, I, I realize that, especially early in the beginning of our relationship, that I wasn't that good of a communicator as a husband. And she's helped me to learn how to communicate uh, as a husband. And, and, and it's just really changed my perspective. It, it really gives me a new understanding of the fact that two become one. That the way that two become one is that two begin to communicate as one. They begin to think as one and feel as one. And that doesn't happen without communication. As a matter of fact, the reason that uh, we can see that statistically Statistics tell us that 86% of marriages that end in divorce cite a problem with their communication. That's 86% of marriages that end in divorce. Statistics also tell us that 25% of Christians are actively right now searching for counseling on the way that they com communicate with their spouse. That tells me this that there's a large part of our church that is in trouble right now because of the way they communicate with their spouse. It tells me something else, that if things get rocky in a relationship, that one of the very first things that we have to do as counselors and pastors is focus in on the way that we communicate with one another. And so I want to share with you today that there are six reasons why we typically communicate in a relationship. The first way is, uh, is for basic information, 
You know, we, we talk about facts and schedules and objectives and, and the fact that our kids have uh, given our dog a haircut and uh, all these just basic information ideas. And then we talk about partnerships, uh, sharing and responsibility and, and coordinating things. I'll pick up the kids today if you go by the grocery store and, and, uh, and, and things like that, the things that you have to partner and coordinate on. The third way that we communicate is, is through conflict resolution. I love this, this way of communicating because uh, oftentimes when we have a couple uh, that we are doing counseling with, uh, one of the questions I ask is, do you think that conflict is bad? And usually about a majority of the time, about 80% of the time, I'll get somebody within that couple that says, yeah, conflict is bad. And I'll be honest with you. Not all conflict is bad. As a matter of fact, having good conflict is constructive within the relationship as long as you're able to overcome and get over the conflict, it will cause your relationship to grow stronger. I think we've all heard those relationships, you know, you, 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 maybe you get past 50 years of marriage and you, you, you know, you're, you're going to one of those parties and, uh, and uh, they're celebrating a, a, a couple and, and the guy stands up and he says, praise the Lord, I... I've never been a, in a fight with my wife in my life. Have you heard that before? Anybody heard that? And, and the truth is there's probably three possibilities there. Maybe he's forgotten. <laughs> it's possible. Not likely, but possible. Number two, he, he could be lying. It's prob probable. Or number three, that he was so dominant in that relationship that he didn't recognize the conflict whenever he came to it, that he subverted her will. And so she would give you a different story, but she's not brave enough to stand up and correct him because she's already been down that road. The truth is, is that conflict can be a good thing in a relationship if it's done right. Fourthly, there's connection. Verbal and nonverbal verbal connection uh, allow us to experience validation in relationships. We appreciate each other as we make that connection. Uh, studies show that if you go out to eat, like on a date night, like this past Friday night, and you sit at dinner across the table from, from your spouse, that on average, you'll connect over 100 times in the way that you look or a joke or through conversation over 100 times throughout the course of that dinner. Connections are happening all over the place. That's a wonderful idea to connect, and that's a, such a deep way of communicating is to connect. But one of, the, one of the difficulties about today in our present society and culture is that connections are becoming harder and harder to make, even though we feel like we're even more connected than ever. As a matter of fact, social media is... Um, is really hurting our ability to form connections. 25% uh, of couples fight about Facebook every week. 25% of couples fight about Facebook every week. One in seven couples have seriously considered divorce because of their spouse's social media habits. Let that sink in for a second. Your spouse is sitting there trying to connect you with you, waiting to connect to you, and you're connected to everybody but them. And this paints a, 
a picture of who we are as a culture and a society, and it gives us an indication that communication is so vital and important to what we do as Christians. Because guess what? We own communication. And I'll show you that later on. The fifth way that we communicate, that, that we connect and communicate is personal information. This is a pretty deep level of communication where it focuses on dreams and thoughts and fears and feelings and frustrations about life. But the sixth level is the deepest and most profound way that we communicate. And it's through um, uh, love connection and spiritual uh, uh, communication, like the, w that, the way that we talk about our dreams and our, um, our, our, our deepest desires, our, our affections and our devotion. That's like the communication prize. When you can communicate to somebody on the deepest level like that, and you feel unafraid and unashamed to share any of your thoughts and your feelings with that person, you know that you're communicating on such a deep and profound way. But the problem is, is if that at any level, in any stage of this list of six ways that we communicate, if there's a block, if there is a, if there is a problem, if there is a conflict there, then it will prevent all the other ways of communicating from working correctly. That's the case in, in a job from uh, uh, peer to peer. It's the, in the case of a friendship. It's in the case of a, a, another family member. And it's certainly the case inside the context of a marriage. And that's why as Christians, we have to work so diligently about ensuring that the way that we communicate with our spouse is in a right way. And that's why today I want to start with the idea of the way that we speak. Because unfortunately, and, and actually fortunately, you can't meet all of your needs. Some of you probably tried, but you can't make all of your needs. You're not designed to meet all of your needs. You're designed to interact within a group context. You're designed to interact inside of a marriage so that, so that you bring to the table all that God has given you and you're able to give to someone else and that you are also designed to receive something that God has given someone else that can meet your needs. And if you're not married, you, you find that in the context of a, of a friendship and another relationship or, or even within the body of a church, you find that, that emotional and physical meeting of needs. But any time that you separate yourself out from a group of people or, or, or even inside of a relationship, emotionally cut yourself off uh, in the area of communication, then you're not only hurting the other person, but you're also hurting yourself. And so I want to start with focusing on the way that we communicate, with the way that we speaking, uh, the way that we speak. The way that we speak is not the only way to communicate. And you, you know this, nonverbal communication and other things. But it certainly is a good place to start. You see, there are two words that many of us in this room have said in our life that have determined what we do every night, what we do every morning. There are two words that, that determine the vacations that we take. There's two words that determine the job that we take. There are two words that determine the trajectory of our life that give us hope or steal it away from us. Those two words are even, even to be more simple, those two words are only three letters, I 
do. When you get married and you say those two words, for many of us, our trajectory is set. And some of us are sitting in the room and we have, are living a blessed life because of those two words that we've said. Some of us are sitting in the room and we know the repercussions for saying, I do, when you shouldn't have. And still some of us are sitting in this room, whether we've already said those words or maybe, maybe we've said those words and the jury's still out on how our life is going to turn out. But I want you to know there's power in the words that we say. I was surprised when I had a couple back in my office um, that wasn't a part of this church, but they were seeking help for their marriage. They looked like an average loving couple. Um, they came in, they were happy, and as we sat down and we began to discuss, they spent over half the session telling me about how bad the other person was. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a wrestling match. I was going to go get the popcorn. Hold on a second. Let's take a bathroom break so I can make the popcorn. I stopped the session. I said, stop, everybody. Hey, listen, do you even like each other? And it's like the countenance on their face changed, and they said, well, yeah, she's my wife. He's my husband. We love each other. I said, it doesn't sound like it. So I gave them some homework. I, I told them that they needed to go home and, and write a list out of all the things that they liked about the other person. And every day they would share five of the things they wrote on that list with the other. Some of you may need to do that today. Because this couple, it completely transformed the way that they took care of problems. They began to verbalize their appreciation and thanks for the other person. And it began to, it didn't change their problem, it changes the way that they handled the problem. And now, the problem is not a problem anymore. How do you like that? Because of the way that they begin to communicate, they were able to heal. In the book of James, we find a caution to those in leadership roles like pastors and teachers, but, but in this context, we can also apply that caution directly to the way that we communicate inside relationships. James chapter 3, verse 2 through 5 tells us, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Let's stop right there and say, wow. <laughs> if, you can, if you can control the way you talk, you can control every part of your life. But why is it that such a little bitty thing has so much control over our lives? He continues on to say, we can make a large horse, horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship go wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes, a grand, that makes grand speeches. The tongue is a small thing, but it sure controls a lot in our life, doesn't it? If we can control that, our lives would be completely better. As a matter of fact, James tells us that our lives would be perfect. But it reminds me of another passage of Scripture. Jesus is talking to religious leaders. And of course, they're looking at him and trying to plot how they can try to control him, try to take him down. And Jesus sees it on them, and he, and he responds to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, you brood of snakes... How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. 
A good person produces good things from the treasury of their heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, and listen to this, everybody. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either quit you or condemn you. Wow. Jesus makes this observation to this group of religious leaders. He says, whatever's in your heart, that's what comes out of your mouth. And for some of us, the reason that it's hard for us to control our mouth is because we have constantly fed ourselves a diet of negativity, of evil, of, of problems, of issues, of thinking about constraints and focusing on the bad. And because that's all down deep in our hearts, that's the only thing that comes up. But James goes on to tell us, but a tiny spark can set great force on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. So between James and Jesus, we find out that you, the words that you say and the way that you say them don't just have an impact on your life here and now, but they have an eternal impact on you now and on the people around you. And that's why it's so clear that, that the words that we say can bring either life or death. See, I, I, I have been guilty many times of lighting a fire with my tongue and standing back and watching it burn. Anybody here like that? Said something and you wish you hadn't. I remember many times saying something and as I'm saying what I'm saying to Claudia, I wish I could just reach out and grab it before it hit her. Pull it back in and rethink it. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. When you light a match and you throw it on the ground, it's too late. It starts burning and it burns fast. But I want you to know that the reason that the words are so powerful is that they're a reflection of what is in your heart. So if you get your words right, it means that you have to first get your heart right. Get your heart right. Allow the word of God to soak and seep into your heart and, and, and force out the impurities of your life. Allow yourself to renew your mind by the cleansing, the washing of your word so that, so that when, when you speak, you speak what you put inside of yourself. Some of you need to stop watching some of the movies and watching some of the scenes that you watch. Some of you need to, 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 to stop reading some of the books you're reading. Some of you need to take a moment and, and consider the, the feedback loop in your mind that you're constantly playing negative, 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 and stop it intentionally and begin to feed yourself positive thoughts. This is not some, some kind of, uh, uh, of uh, Asian philosophy, okay? A Taoist way of thinking. This is, this is a biblical concept, that we have to intentionally, and I'm sorry, this is not in my notes, but that we have to intentionally hold our thoughts captive under the lordship of Christ to cause them to be obedient to his word. 
so that as we think, we don't think about the negative things, but we think about the positive things intentionally. And as you continually to do that in your life, the negative thoughts and the negative things that come out of your mouth will slowly begin to turn into positivity. Amen. Well, Pastor John, I'm just a negative person. No, you're not a negative person. That old person died. You need to have a funeral. Quit resurrecting them. Okay? Let them lie. <laughs> All right? But it's not just our words. It's also in our actions. Our date night was a great night. Um, the other night, uh, when, when all the couples came back into the room, Claudia and I, we led them in a game. And, it, and the game that we played uh, was uh, getting to know our spouse. And so we put a list of things um, in front of people, and we said, okay, uh, you know, what's your spouse's shoe size? And they would all write it down. And, and, and it was about 14 various things. And, and the couple that would get the most right about the other, their, their spouse or partner would, would win, Okay. And also the couple that got the least right one, too, because we think that they ought to get to know each other a little bit better. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I wanted to write, uh, what is your favorite flower on that list? What's your favorite flower? Because I felt like there was probably one or two guys in there that would lean over to their wife and say, uh, sweetheart, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a, a Pillsbury all-purpose flower. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, uh, I didn't do that. Um, I'm pretty sure I saved a fight uh, there because I, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm the guy that forgot my wife's favorite flower. There's some guys in here that you need to remember your wife's favorite flowers here in a couple of days for Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Write it down. Yeah, write down. One year, I ordered my wife uh, some flowers. And there were, there were beautiful flowers I, I presented it to her from a florist. I presented it to her, and, and she loved him. She, she said, thank you very much. And, but I noticed that she was a little bit underwhelmed when I gave them to her. And I said, oh, what's wrong? And she said, well, this particular flower I, I'm a little bit allergic to. <laughs> I didn't know it. And sure enough, in a couple of days, I, you would not believe how much pollen was sitting on our counter. I mean, it was just, there was so much. And we were all walking around with our eyes a little bit red and nose stuffy. I guess we're all a little bit allergic to it. That's not where the bad thing gets, though. <laughs> because in my defense, before I continue on the story, there's a lot of time to forget within a year for a guy. And the very next year... I forgot to order flowers. And so that morning I ran out to the grocery store and got the same flowers. And I came in without a vase, held in my hand, hoping I would be able to sneak around and, and stick them in some kind of pot or something that we had. And I knew that it was a lackluster presentation. I knew I was already in trouble. But whenever I saw the look on her face, it all came back to me. These are the wrong flowers. I was mortified. I was so embarrassed because in that moment, it would have been better for me not to have brought the flowers in the first place and just say, I forgot about Valentine's Day. I'm so sorry. Then to bring those flowers because two years in a row, I gave her an allergic reaction <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Not fun. See, words are important, but actions are more important. They speak louder than words. As a matter of fact, it's no coincidence that Jesus is called by John. Whoa. That's a lot of action right there. 
the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the logos of God, the word, which literally means the word of God. That's how John recognized him in his gospel. But later in the epistle, Jesus is recognized as something else. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We know what real love is because Jesus told us. No. We know what real love is is because Jesus promised us. No. We know what real love is is because Jesus put us on his to-do list. <laughs> we know what real love is because it says so in the word. And the truth of the matter is, is we know what real love is because he did something for us. He died for us. That's why just a few verses later, John challenges us as Christians. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. John the apostle identified Jesus as the word. But Jesus didn't just stop with his words. He followed through with his actions. Our actions give the evidence of the truth of our love for other people around us. It's easy to tell somebody that we love them, isn't it? It's easy to, to tell someone we care. But really, it's the actions behind the words that give the evidence of the love. Many of us need to put some actions behind the words that we've already said. I have a shower to fix. <laughs> what do you have to do? What action do you need to take in order to demonstrate your love for your spouse? But the truth is, is if I have a message on communication and I focus on words that we say and the things that we do, then every person in this room has been bound to have some kind of friction in your heart and your life from the Holy Spirit illuminating something in your relationship that you need to continue to work on. So how do we get back on track? How do we, what do we do in order to right the communication wrongs and to bring us back in unity together? So I learned a trick with my kids. If you just look and stare at them long enough, they start talking. If you look a little deeper and look a little like you suspect them of something, they start sweating and they start divulging things that I never knew about. <laughs> it's useful listening inside of a relationship. But listening inside of a marriage is even more important. The Word of God gives us the gold standard of communication. James chapter 1 verse 19 tells us, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This three-part strategy gives us the very apex of getting back on track with our spouse, with our friendships. Psychologists tell us that 60 to 90% of communication, effective communication, 
is listening, which is counterintuitive to what we believe because we think when we communicate, it's about talking or about doing. But it's not true. Good, effective communication is more about listening. I can't tell you how many times as I counsel individuals, as I counsel couples in my office, how hard it is to get both of them to look at each other when they talk. I literally have to say, stop. You need to look at each other and tell each other. Don't tell me, tell each other. It can be difficult to communicate with someone that's hurt you. It can be difficult to listen to somebody and allow them the stage, if you will, in your life when the, you know that the things they have to say are hurtful. Nevertheless, the Word of God tells us, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Listening requires two things, a right heart first. When you lean in and truly listen, it will bring validation to their feelings. Doesn't mean that they're right, but you are going to be respectful and listen. We should listen because everyone longs to know that they've been heard. Husband, close your mouth. Listen. Wife, stop talking and listen. Listen to what they have to say. Wait, allow them to finish their idea. Don't cut them off or don't be thinking about how you're going to respond as they talk. Just listen. Secondly, it requires the right habits. Many of you pride yourself on your ability to do two things at one time. I have news for you. When you do two things at one time, you do neither well. You can't be on social media and effectively listen to your spouse. Put it down. As a matter of fact, don't even put it on the table. Put it in a different room in a wicker basket somewhere. Hide that thing so that you can listen and pay attention. Turn the TV off. Turn the music off and listen. Your habits are important as well. Secondly, that gold standard reminds us to be slow to speak. Just because we begin to speak, it doesn't mean good communication is happening. Speaking doesn't always equal good communication. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 reminds us, too much talk leads to sin. Woo! Somebody needs to write that down in here. Maybe me. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. See, the Bible says it, not Pastor John. One of the most common mistakes that we make in marriage is that we fail to listen because we got the what we want to say preloaded. Slow to talk. Slow to talk. There's an old saying, slow is smooth, and smooth is what? Fast. 
Some of you want to speed up the process of your communication and your relationships because you're so tired of having the same discussion over and over and over. And so you just say, yeah, 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 I get it. I know what you have to say. Stop it. But if you just slow down and have a conversation where you actually listen and you slow down and you wait, then effective communication has taken place and then you don't have to have the conversation again. It's amazing, it seems so simple, it's so, so elementary. But sometimes the most elementary things are the most important things, like listening. Finally, we find out that we should be slow to get angry. The word angry here is, a better translation for it is the word wrath. And the word wrath in this passage in, uh, in the Greek actually means this. It means um, the desire or longing to get your way. So if I read that with the definition instead of the word, it says, be slow to have a desire or longing to get your way. Slow to anger, slow to wrath. When you're angry, you're gonna make the best speech you will ever regret. Be slow to get angry. Some of you would argue, Pastor John, God just built me with a, with a quick fuse. No, he didn't. Because the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Some of you need to not be so proud about that and go back to the Lord and ask the Lord to work on your heart. Extend your fuse. Because that is the fruit of the Spirit. I challenge you today this. Get back on track with your communication and relationships. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Would you stand with me all over this place? If you came with your spouse, would you simply grab that person's hand on your right and your left? If you didn't come with your spouse, maybe your significant other, your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your partner in crime, <laughs> I want you to invite you to grab their hand too. Now I want you to think about this. If what I've said today gives you any kind of pause or thought, or you realize that the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, even now, challenging you to communicate in a better, more positive way with your spouse, I want you to squeeze their hand and let them know, hey, I got something that I need the Lord to help me on. Squeeze their hand and remind me, baby, I'm squeezing your hand, okay? Okay. I want to pray with you right now, wherever you are, because... The truth is, maybe there's a problem in communication in your relationship for a really long time, and you need God to do a miracle, but praise the Lord, He is a miracle-working God, and He can open the lines of communication, He can heal the broken heart and broken life, and He can restore the love that the enemy tried to put out. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do those things right now. Lord, I pray that you would give people words to say and the love and the courage to speak them with. Lord, more importantly, I pray, God, that you would give them the wisdom, Lord, to listen and to lean in to their, uh, to their spouse. Lord, so that they could work together as partners 
in that deep connection, in that intimate exchange of communication. Lord, that as you restore our communication with each other, that it would also restore the communication that we have with you. Lord, I pray, God, that our prayers wouldn't hit the roof, but Lord, that we extend into the very, the very throne room of heaven. Lord, that as our relationships grow stronger together, Lord, what we can do for your kingdom is more effective. Lord, I pray that every relationship, every friendship, Every, every couple in this room would be healthy and strong because of the word that you placed inside of us. Lord, let us walk out of here never the same, but forever change because of your power and anoint us, Lord, that we might find you, give hope, and do life together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless you this morning.